So I'm going to talk about our worldview. The second thing we're going to talk about is about how we think about calling. And um, because there are different kinds of callings that we want to frame our thinking in, because then we can understand how we are uniquely called into what God is doing. And the last bullet point, depending on our time, uh, again, I'm paid by the word, um, is uh, this general idea of what discipleship looks like or what it means to be a follower of Jesus when we have this very full and robust understanding of our callings. So that's the roadmap. First, the heresy or the worldview that leads to all kinds of heresies. It's this thing that so many of us, without even knowing, believe and, not, and don't know how deeply we believe that. For most of us today, here in North America, on this side of the Enlightenment, for the last couple hundred years, we have tended to view the world, that's a worldview question, in the categories of things that are sacred and things that are secular, things that are holy and things that are profane. Sorry for those of you on this side of the congregation. <laughs> we think some things are uniquely, like God really knows what to do with it, and other things, meh, right, with regard to God's perspective toward that. And it's a lens by which we look at the world, and it has tremendous and huge influence and impact on how we as followers of Jesus in the world today um, actually can live into the world in the ways in which we're supposed to. The reason why I say that is because not only is there this sort of sacred, secular dualism, this divide, but there's also this subtle thing where we say those things which are sacred are actually more important. And those that are merely secular are not as much so. Now think about that with me for a moment. If the things that are sacred are actually more important than all the other things of life, we, find up, we, we wind ourselves living in very odd ways. One way in which we think about that is, oh, we wind up being complicit with the world and agreeing with the world that our faith is a private matter and has nothing to do with the rest of the world. And not only is it a private matter, but it only, our, our spiritual lives really only belong in an hour and a half on Sunday morning. And without knowing that, we go, I guess that's right. And so we just kind of figure out how to be able to do our church thing on Sundays, not knowing how to connect our faith to Monday through Saturday. Yeah. Right? We know how to think Christianly with our church friends, but what does it mean to be a Christian with my, the, the, the elderly shut-in that lives on my street? Right? Or, or you know, so there's this, this, this separation, and there's this sort of elitism. Um, so think about it. When we talk about spiritual gifts, right? Um, we may think of the normal lists, right, um, of what are they? Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. And you do these spiritual gifts assessments, right, and then maybe they talk about pastor, teacher, right, child care, ministry. I know there are a lot of you here gifted with that. I won't lay any... I'm sorry. It's, 
Um, but we tend to think of these things as something that we can absolutely understand that God would use us through. But we don't understand how last week's testimony of John as a, as a, as a musical artist, right? We might understand music when we talk about leading worship, but we don't understand how a musician in the commercial world uh, could actually see their work as a sacred sort of a thing. We can see the sacredness of what it means to be a pastor or a teacher, but we can't see the sacredness of being an elementary school teacher. There's something very funky there when we say the vast majority of what we do is not really something the Lord can use. You see where I'm going with this? Very important to make sure you chase that one down there and realize, oh, wait a minute here. That's not the way God looks at it. I've always thought it was interesting. Um, uh, when I first came to know the Lord in college, decades ago, <laughs> for emphasis, decades, um, I remember thinking, uh, talking with some, uh, all right, I have to back up even a little further. I was raised in New York, Long Island. Thanks, John. I was, I was recounting with John how in first grade our teacher had us write down our religion. Are we Catholic or Jewish? And, um, and I'm like, okay, well, I know I'm not Catholic. Jewish. Right? So, uh, so technically my full name is Jeff Goldshoe. Sorry, that was a huge tangent. But when you talk with Jews, you know, especially when you think, well, how do you help them understand who Jesus is and about this heaven thing? I began realizing that I'd be talking with them, and my, my dear friends, and say, you know what? We're looking forward to what God is interested in doing that is saving us from our sins so that we can go to heaven. And I'd ask, what's the notion of heaven in Jewish theology? And you kind of get a blank stare. Because in Jewish thought, indeed, uh, in Jesus' thinking, it wasn't so much about being rescued out of the world for our sake. It was about a Savior coming to our world for its sake. And there's something funny in there with the sacred secular dualism that makes us think very interesting things. Okay, And I would argue that a lot of this thinking, which goes all the way back to the first century, by the way, it's very Greek, um, is um, working against our ability to be a redemptive presence uh, in the world today. Sacred secular dualism. My task here is not to, to profane the sacredness of callings like the preacher and the teacher and the missionary and the evangelist. It's rather to sacralize the work of the accountant, of the musician, of the neighbor. It's to sacralize the work of the wild uh, fire, firefighter. It's to be able to uphold and thank the common grace that is ministered to us through uh, police officers and firemen who are, may not be Christians. Can we not exercise and recognize that all things are from the Lord 
every gift that we have been given is a grace of the Lord that also must be stewarded for his kingdom redemptive purposes. If you're an awesome chef, that's sacred. You know how flavors go together. I appreciate that. (laughs) Sorry, I got distracted. (laughs) The implications of this is that whatever percentage of you might find yourself in some sort of sacred calling, whether you call that 5% or 10% of your congregation, the other 90% of you may feel like second-class citizens, uncertain of how the Lord may use you no matter how much you desire to be used by Him. And the only thing that keeps you out of God's mission is this false thinking. How do we recognize and embrace the sacredness of all our multiple callings? We're going to get into that in a moment. Okay. Dramatic pause. Okay. Matthew 25, you'll remember, is a fascinating passage where, you know, it's the end of time. There's a sort of a judgment scene here, and uh, the king is coming. And he does this thing where he separates the sheep from the goats. And uh, it's a really interesting thing there because when you get to that passage... The sheep, right, are considered, the righteous ones are considered the sheep. And they're a little confused because they're like, is it passage up? The righteous are going to answer in verse 37, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or need in clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or, or in prison and go to visit you? And interestingly, Jesus replies, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Now think about that for a moment. They're like, wait a minute. Jesus is saying, when you saw someone hungry and you gave them something to eat, you were feeding me. When you saw someone thirsty and you gave them something to drink, you were giving me something to drink. When you saw a stranger and welcomed them in through a gift, some hospitality, some hospitable act, you were welcoming me. Well, we might want to come to the passage and say, okay, who are sheep and who are goats? The stunning thing that I want to draw out here is that Jesus is hidden in our neighbor. There's something about, oh gosh, I don't want to lay the guilt trip here. When our children, so don't take it in a guilty way. When our children have the opportunity to come to church and have some Christian worldview, right, uh, be infused into their thinking through Bible songs and lessons and all, when that need exists, whether it be for parents who need a little time off in the, in the service or something, and we help meet that need, 
It's as if we're meeting the need of those Jesus hidden in our children. When we see someone who's unemployed and we happen to be in a position to be able to offer a job to someone or to offer a job to someone that is hard to employ, it's as if our meeting the need of that person is like meeting the need of Jesus. Jesus is hidden in our neighbor. The second thing to really look at this passage about is the fact that God, that Jesus uses these profoundly common, ordinary, everyday things. Food, drink, kindness, clothes. He doesn't say, you gave me teachings from the scriptures. Although that's certainly, you know, but you see what I'm getting at, right? Ordinary, everyday stuff, when done in the name of the Lord to someone in need, is in fact what Jesus is saying to these astonished sheep. The third thing to know from this passage is the sheep had no idea either. The righteous had no idea either. Jesus somehow needed to remind the righteous it's these simple acts of love for your neighbor in need that brought a smile to my face. That's remarkable. Ordinary stuff. There's no sacred secular. There's no, this is really special and this is just ordinary or acceptable. It's all God's. It all matters. Your tagline, I don't know if it's a tagline, but it's certainly at your website. All of life for all of Jesus. This is the doctrine of calling, vocation, and work. How are we doing? That was dramatic. What we need to do here is I want to show some slides here um, about three words. And so they're, they're circles because everything's better in a Venn diagram. <clears throat> the words of calling and vocation and work are words that I want you to understand as almost being synonymous. But more importantly, what I want to do before I get to that is to be able to demonstrate that we tend to think in these sacred and secular categories when we look at these words. So when we use the words, you're going to have one or another of these categories that mess you up. So for example, the word calling and vocation are exactly the same word. They mean exactly the same thing, and that is it hints at a person who is doing the calling, right? The Greek word is kaleo. Uh, and the Latin word for calling is vocare, where we get the word voice, right? Or vox, idea the VO, right? Now, depending on if you're a Protestant, you use the word calling. If you're a Catholic, you use the word vocation. And we tend to think of those in a sacred lens, or we can think of that in a sacred lens, when the word work, which I would say is very synonymous, tends in a secular lens to be just what I do for a living. So, we can draw the lines that way. Next slide. We can also draw the lines where we say, oh, especially as Protestants, calling is that sacred word. 
this is how we really follow God, you know, what we do. And we're always looking for that calling, that unique thing that God has called us to do. And we wind up using vocation as merely a synonym for work, right? So we think of university as being one thing, but vocational school is somehow seen as less sacred. And it isn't, especially when you need a plumber. <laughs> Next slide. The other way we can draw it is we can see calling uh, through a secular lens. For example, when a physician says, my calling in life is a doctor, right? We use it almost, use it as a synonym for a sec the secular word of work and vocation, particularly in Catholic circles. Uh, and when you look at old, like the Presbyterian Book of Order uses the word vocation quite literally as a synonym for uh, callings in a sacred sense. My point is that um, when you chase this down, the sacred, sacred secular dualism goes further than we know in our own thinking, and we need to really be aware of it, okay? Now, what I'd like to propose is that all three of these words, next slide, um, should be understanding that bottom circle there, where the overlapping piece is a big overlap, because this is where, um, this is real, where it how it ought to be <laughs> the world according to Jeff. So think about this. Um, work is really the, uh, if your tagline, is it your tagline, all of, all of life, all for Jesus? If that's the tagline, work, even when we think about it through a secular sense, is something I do. It also is something I do for Jesus as an expression of worship, right? In fact, the Latin word for um, work, does anyone know? Opus, right? In the monastic communities, um, the daily work or the daily office is what it's called in English, is set times of prayer and scripture reading through the course of the day. That was our daily work, Right? And interestingly, they reduced it to reading of Bible and prayer and all that sort of thing. Uh, but what did they also do? A lot of these monasteries made great honey and beer. Praise the Lord, right? <laughs> okay, I got distracted again. <clears throat> but think about it then. Even the language, when we talk about the office of, and then fill in the blank, right? It's really... Um, the place in which you are serving a certain set of responsibilities in response to a certain authority. Right? When you are stationed somewhere, we use that language in the military, right? It's not for your own sake, it's because you're representing some other authority. You can't have a vocation, you can't have a calling without a caller. And you can't have a vocation without a voice. There's, there's a sense in which all of our life is lived in response to one who is inviting us, who is calling us, who is beckoning us uh, into his work and his uh, redemptive purposes. Right? So I like to use all three of these terms uh, within, seated within a broader understanding of worship. Not just how we pray, not just how we sing on Sunday mornings, but my entire life, stewarding everything that God has graced me with, 
not in service of my own making a living and my own retirement fund, but using what God has graced me with, graced me with to love my neighbor, to love my city. So what's this got to do with me? How does it work? Oh my gosh, I hope, I hope you're now realizing. Well, answer this question. Actually, just shout it out loud, okay? Uh, maybe one at a time. Um, what do you know you do well? Sleep, okay. It is a gift of the Lord. Argue. Praise the Lord for lawyers. Advocates for justice. Right? So if it's arguing just for your own bottom line or for your own first point of view, but if you're using it in service of one who doesn't have a voice, right? Asking questions. Curiosity. Learning. This is a gift. Does anyone know how to teach? Yes, and we're all called to it in some place, right? Especially if we've got kids or we have coworkers that's new to the job. How do you love that new coworker? You show them the ropes, right? That's the need. That's Jesus hidden in your neighbor, the new coworker, right? Someone just moves into town. What's hospitality look like? This is where you go for cinnamon rolls. Good coffee. Some of you have a knack for spreadsheets. We talked about that last week. That's a gift, I'll tell you. Is it possible that these very things that you know you do well, that you love, that you find is a great hobby, actually hide some of God's grace toward you? That can be stewarded not just for your own enjoyment, but in service of a neighbor? Wow. That this is actually sacred? That this is ministry? Wow. Here's a big question I think all of us ask ourselves. It's the why do I exist question. What's my reason for being? What's the purpose of my life? What should, I, what should I be doing? You all ask it. Whether you know you're asking it or not, you ask it. And when do we ask it? When you're in high school, trying to figure out what college to go to because you're trying to figure out what to major in because you're trying to figure out what your life's supposed to be about. And you make that decision, then you ask the question again as a freshman, you're like, oh my gosh. And you go through college wondering, what am, what am I going to do? I need to change my major. What, what career do I imagine myself doing? And you come out and you get a job, and after the first five years, oh, this is not what I'm supposed to be doing. <coughs> right? It's a question that we ask ourselves when we're sort of uh, in the middle of our career and we get downsized. It's a question that we ask when we, get, when we retire. It's a question we ask through our entire lives. What's my life supposed to be about? What am I supposed to be doing? 
there's an ache that often drives us. And we don't know what it is. There's a great book by um, a really smart person called Os Guinness. Uh, it's called The Call, with this really like audacious subtitle, Finding and, Fulfill- Finding and Fulfilling Your Purpose in Life. I recommend it. It's written in 98. It was one of the first books that kind of, I would believe, uh, helping many churches begin this conversation of calling vocational work. It's called The Call. In it, he writes... To find and fulfill the purpose of your life. Right? This is the, the driving question that we ask all the time. <clears throat> In order to find and fulfill the purpose of your life, we must discover the specific purpose for which we were created and to which we are called. We're to find the specific purpose for which we were created and to which we are called. Now, I want you to stop for a moment there. Because the way in which you are trying to answer that question is wrong. I think you're thinking, oh, the specific purpose is to be a mother. That's the thing that I was called to that will make my life matter. Some of you might say, to be able to find myself in middle management in a Fortune 500 company with a corner office. That was what I was created for. Some of you might say, it's to create that next great social media alternative. That's what it was created for. That's not what Guinness is saying, and that's not what I'm saying. He continues and says, answering the call of our creator is the ultimate why for living, the highest source of purpose in human existence. And apart from such a calling, all hope of discovering purpose will end in disappointment. Get this. He's saying you need to figure out and you need to find and discover that specific purpose for which you were created. You know what that was? You know what that is? Answering the call of our creator. The caller with the capital C calls us to be in relationship with him. And if you're asking questions of why do I exist, how do I answer the question of where do I find meaning, purpose, significance, it's not found in writing that killer app. It's not found in whatever that role or profession you find yourself in. It's not found in how much you're, and it's not measured by your retirement account. Meaning, purpose, significance isn't found in the fact that the God of the universe calls you to be in relationship with him. That's the only calling with a capital C, right, that is worthy of us as image bearers of God. Is that you, John? Well, thanks. That's the only place. What was I created for? The God of the universe. I was created who's personal. And we can have a personal relationship who knows me and loves me, who's aware of every single flaw that I have and, and has gone through tremendous lengths to make it possible for me to experience his love, his grace, his forgiveness, and his mercy. And that's why we sing worship songs. 
where we stand in awe in His presence. Marveling in His glory. Delighting in the fact that I get to be there. Why does my life matter? What am I called to do ultimately? Where does life make sense? Only when I understand my life in the context of my relationship with the creator of the universe. This then is where it's important as we think about what it means to be called, to think about vocation, and indeed even to think about our work, our response to God. It's important to maintain two distinctions when we think about the language of calling and vocation and work. First, there are two kinds of callings. There is a single primary calling, and there are multiple secondary callings. This is following the teaching of Martin Luther uh, coming out of the Reformation, you know, where he saw this, you know, you got the priests and you got, you know, all these sorts of people figuring out how to be able to, uh, you know, really serve the Lord. And everyone else had a sort of a second grade piety, right? Um, Not like second graders, but yeah, never mind. Um, And Martin Luther said, no, 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 no. We all have the same primary calling. We're called in the relationship with the God of the universe. The caller with the capital, every single one of us. That's where our sense of meaning, purpose, significance comes from. And as we stand in awe, in worship of him, not only on Sunday mornings, but as we're delighted in his mercy and grace on Mon- through, uh, Monday through Saturday, we find ourselves living, loving him and loving what he's up to and wanting to participate in whatever he's up to in this world. And it's in our secondary callings that we live out on mission with God in response to our primary calling. So as a husband, as a parent, as a brother, as a neighbor to that elderly shut-in, as a co-worker to the new person that just got hired, right? All of these vocations are secondary, right? There are places in which we live at our response to God's amazing love. And we begin to realize, oh my gosh, he's given me so much to steward. And he's given me so many vocations and callings that I get a chance to live into for his redemptive purposes. And now we begin answering the question of what was I created for? To be in a relationship with him and to live all of life for all of Jesus. Whether as citizen, as plumber, as wild firefighter. That's different, isn't it? So what it does is it opens entire swaths of your life to the life-transforming work of Jesus in us so that we might be able to be part of God's redemptive purposes in the world. I got a very important slide coming up. Great quote. Jesus. 
That's the invitation. Come follow me. Come follow me and be a part of what God is doing, what I have come to make possible. Come follow me and be a part of making a difference in this world. This language of calling and vocational work is nothing more than a metaphor for the entire life of discipleship. All of life for all of Jesus. That's why I love your church so much. How does this work together? We need to keep these two callings, two types of callings, primary callings, secondary callings, distinct. We must not confuse a secondary calling as our primary calling. If we say, hey, look, I believe that's where my meaning, purpose, and significance of life is going to come from when I'm in middle management in a Fortune 500 company, and that is what you begin to bow the knee to, sacrifice for, Worship, it's idolatry. Because you've got a primary calling very patient waiting for you. If you think my life will not make sense until I'm married or until I have grandchildren or have kids that have reached a certain point in their career, all important things but not ultimate, Even your ministry, if it's a thing that you think you need to do to be able to earn your sense of purpose, meaning, and significance from, it's idolatrous. You've got to keep the two types of callings distinct and in the right order. Only as we stand in amazement of who God is, what he's made possible for us. As we marvel in his tremendous patience. When we realize that we're more sinful than we realized and yet still more loved and forgiven and, uh, you know, than we ever dare hoped. Only then do we understand the power of the gospel that animates within us something that says, oh, that's, that is so right and good. And we find ourselves being drawn to serve the Lord in every nook and cranny of our lives, in every sphere of society, with every person that we come in touch with. It's all of life. When we live our lives with a special devotion, when we begin to understand this calling, primary calling, we begin living all of our lives with a special devotion, a special power, a dynamism, a special intentionality, um, loving our neighbors to life, loving our city to life. God calls us to be in communion with him. He calls us to be part of this covenant people. He calls us out. Ekklesia is the Greek word for church. There, even in the notion of church is the notion of calling. He invites us to live into this promise of becoming the transformed people. All right?
by God's grace, the call of Jesus to come follow me is an invitation to live more fully into the kind of person that we've always longed to be. To become the kind of person that Jesus always loved in us, that he knew was in us from the beginning. The kind of person that finds himself loving our neighbors, not because we have to be, because it's an outflow of the kind of person I've become. This is the doctrine of calling and vocation. And this work becomes a place in which all of our life is a response to God's love. I'm using the word synonymously, and I know that there's, there's a gnashing of gears in your head, but that's okay. I want you to sit in that tension. Properly understood, the language of calling is a, is a metaphor for the entire Christian life. Think about it. Genesis 12, right? The Abraham covenant, Abrahamic covenant. You are blessed. For what reason? To be a blessing. Stop thinking about, you start thinking about the passages uh, in Scripture that talk about God's first loving us and reconciling us to Him, 2 Corinthians. And then we're given, reconciled to Him, and then we're given a ministry of reconciliation. Distinct in the right order. Jesus says, come follow me. What a beautiful invitation. Become the kind of person that I'm working into your life. What's great about the notion of calling uh, is now we can understand that our spiritual practices, reading the Bible, prayer, fasting, all of these things are actually exercises that help us recognize the characteristic tone of the voice of the caller. We don't find ourselves having to wrestle with whether or not God's called me to do something or not doing it you know, with our pro-con lists. We actually can hear God's voice as we are in prayer and as the scriptures speak to us. We can recognize his tone even though it's being coming through the voice of a friend. We can recognize the way in which God is working and, and resourcing us with understanding His will through the way in which circumstances navigate themselves. If the job doesn't open, then I guess I know. Right? If calling becomes a metaphor for the entire Christian life, then we get to understand spiritual disciplines. That's what we were talking about last week. We're talking about Sabbath, even. Right? The strangest thing in the world to talk about rest in the middle of a sermon series on work. But Sabbath, like every other spiritual discipline, is, a, is cultivating our ability to recognize His voice and do whatever He calls us to do. There are times in which, in fact, now is the time. My wife and I served for a couple years over in Shanghai, um, and it's like, I recognize that this is a really cool, awesome ministry, right? But there were challenges there, right, um, for our family. And it's like, oh, I can say, old categories, well, if I really want to serve the Lord, we, we, we serve as a missionary in China. And if you think that way, then a return from the mission field is what? Failure. All right, now wrestle with that guilt for a little bit. But an understanding of a single primary calling and multiple secondary callings mean to me right now that while I'm the executive director working my butt off, 
on some really cool, exciting things. I'll tell you about that sometime, or maybe at the food truck. There's going to be a time when my calling as the eldest son in a Chinese family with aging parents is going to call me to help them navigate the sale of their home and the purchase of their new condo. And that may be the most loving thing uh, that my calling as the eldest son in a Confucian worldview is going to be felt as love and service. And even if that means that uh, I get less time to work on this sermon, I have to get the slides to Kenny really late last night, that my meaning and significance is not based upon my work as a, as a minister of the gospel, but there are going to be times in which God's going to say, now pay attention to what your parents have, need. Cultivating an ability to be able to hear the voice of the Lord allows us to be able to obey Him as the needs rise and as He leads. Nothing scientific about it. It's following God because it's all of life for all of Jesus. I hope that makes sense. Come follow me, Jesus says. Guinness writes, Answering the call of our Creator, responding to His invitation to be in relationship with Him, to be on mission with Him, to be in the family business. Answering the call of the Creator is our ultimate why for living and the ultimate source for purpose in human existence. With Flourish San Diego, we believe that this dynamic life-giving work and message of Jesus has been obscured from so many of us who really seek to find meaning and purpose in our relationship to God. And the call to follow a person has tended to be reduced to a call to obey deadening legalisms, which are incapable of producing the kind of people we both desire to be and were created to be. This results in further marginalization of the church challenging our intentions to be a redemptive presence in our world and in our city. Our ministry is committed to teaching about calling and vocation and your everyday work, whatever you do, whether you get paid for it or not, as ways, as metaphors of the Christian life and how we can be part of God's redemptive purposes in this world. I should stop now. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, it amazes me that you are willing to work with remarkably frail, broken, weak, sinful people. But somehow, because we are creating your image, somehow, you have still called us. Even with our sin, you still call us to be part of your redemptive purposes in this world. And somehow, you have already placed us in every nook and cranny of culture that you want us to be uh, on mission with you for, with and about. And so I thank you, Jesus, that you're not done with us yet. That as we learn how to hear your voice, as we cultivate in our spiritual practices, um, creating the environment for your spirit to change ours, for our life in you to increasingly bring 
um, to, to bring about within us an ability to reflect your image to others more clearly, more perfectly, more magnificently. Father, would you continue to do that work and help us find creative ways of being in all of our secondary callings, bringing a smile to your face, not because we have to, but because we get to. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Jeff.